When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Fallout Roundtable. This is a place where diverse individuals discuss various topics from the Fallout universe. Join us. The conversation has already started. Welcome back to the Fallout Roundtable. My name is Maverick. We do not have the full roundtable with us today. Things come up, but there's still three of us, so the show must go on. The other compatriots with me are Jaxus and Sassy Lady. If you guys want to say hello, say hello. 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 Jaxus, do you want to give us the topic of today? I've got you. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into the Maxon family line and the ideals of Roger Maxon and his Brotherhood of Steel. The ultimate question today is, was the Maxon family good or bad for mankind? And should they be the ones to lead us into a new era? Before we get into the speculations, uh, I will give you a quick background on all Maxon subjects. Then you can go you can have a more informed opinion of who they are and what they're all about. Some things may surprise you based on the perceptions made by the game and the backgrounds provided. Also, all my information was gathered from fallout.fandom.com. In the coming weeks, this wiki that I got this from will be migrated to the media wiki 1.37. Don't know exactly what that means, but when you guys go there to look yourselves, you'll find out. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start with Roger Maxson, who is the leader of the Brotherhood of Steel, the progenitor, the creator. Roger Maxson was a captain in the U.S. Army during the resource wars, which were caused by the world's diminished fossil fuels. During the mission at, a, at the Mariposa military base, Maxson discovered the testing of FEV virus on human subjects, which caused him to mutiny against the U.S. Army and formed the Brotherhood of Steel. The beliefs of the Brotherhood were shaped by the experiences of Captain Maxon. At first, the Brotherhood focused on aiding survivors to the best of its of his ability, uh, acting as an armed fighting force rather than a military order it would become. Uh, the change came with the realization that the collective knowledge of humanity was in danger of being lost for generations to come. To keep the secrets of the past alive, Maxon decided to dedicate the Brotherhood to the preservation of technology and, the, and human knowledge, collecting it so that the Brotherhood might become the catalyst for human, humanity's rebirth. 
as the Guardians of Civilization. So that's the backstory on Roger Maxon, the originator of the Brotherhood of Steel. So next we're talking about Maxon II. Maxon II, as a teenager, during the exodus of the Mariposa military base, his mother died and he supported isolationism. Now, mind you, Maxon II was a teenager during the Great War. As he grew older, he eventually did end up taking the position that his father had after he had passed away. In 2135, he became the High Elder. During his short stint, because he didn't spend a lot of time doing this, in 19, in, excuse me, in 2155, he led a scout unit to track down a, a war band called the Vipers. During this little thing, he took his helmet off and got shot by a poison arrow, and it killed him within a few hours. So his little stint with, with the Brotherhood of Steel wasn't very long. But his son would come along later on, John Maxon, 2161, says uh, 2135, Elder Roger Maxon dies of cancer, and his son, already an accomplished soldier, takes up the role of general, which was Maxon II, with the Brotherhood of Steel. And then he ended up getting himself killed, of course. John Maxon becomes a member of the Paladins, showing tremendous promise as a soldier. Now, obviously, John Maxon's uh, father dies, from that wound, well, four years later in 2159, the council convinced young John Maxon to take up the position of high elder. Becoming the third Maxon to hold the rank, however, he was not aware of the volume of politics while in office. By the time the vault dweller meets him in 2161, he is 64 years old. He ages, but he remains wanting to fight the enemies of the Brotherhood rather than remain underground like the others were considering. Now, mind you, that's kind of non-canon, but uh, Maxon is not too popular among the other elders as he is considered a little bit crazy. He claims there, there is an army massing in the north, but his claims are met with in lack of credibility. And all motions to send an expedition there were voted down as risky. Sending tens of, tens of thousands of troops into an irradiated waste can be dangerous and a risk to the Brotherhood's very existence. Okay, so now we're going to discuss Jeremy Maxson. Jeremy Maxson was born 2230. Jeremy Maxson is a descendant of Roger and John Maxson. No mention of who his parents were, and he doesn't seem to show any kind of relation to like John directly, or there's no mention of it, so I don't know who his parents were. In the year 2131, he was leading a thriving Brotherhood of Steel and decided that it was time to expand the Brotherhood's operations into the East. He sent a force uh, composed of five paladins to confirm the location of uh, Peterson's bunker. The expedition leader, Andrea Brixley, discovered the bunker, disabled its security, and opened it up for habitation. For over a decade, she and her fellow paladins explored the East and forged relationships with many of the tribes that inhabited the area. In the year 2242, Jeremy Maxson renamed the bunker after his famous ancestor, Roger Maxson. He then sent a full complement of troops for occupation. Andrea Brixley, I hope I'm saying her name right, was promoted to elder, given the rank of general and placed in charge. The remainder of her team was given the title of elder as well. It was not long after that the war with the new California Republic was announced. That's the information that I've got on Jeremy. Apparently, Jeremy was also, canon-wise, was pretty much the leader of the Brotherhood of Steel during the period of Fallout 2, if that helps. 
Next, we have Jonathan Maxson, 2277. Jonathan Maxson was the father of Arthur Maxson and husband to Jessica Maxson. Jonathan is a descendant of uh, Roger Maxson, the founder of the Brotherhood of Steel. He was a high-ranking paladin killed while serving just outside the new California Republic. There is almost nothing else on him in that regard. Next, we have Jessica Maxson, 2277. Her husband, Jonathan, was a paladin who was killed in battle. And after his death, she sent her son, Arthur, east to be raised under the tutelage of the respected Elder Lions. The Elder Lions was a group of paladins who had taken over another area and was very highly experienced, and they had a nice, good stronghold. So sending her son there was basically to ensure his safety and so that he learns the skills he needed to become the leader that he becomes later on. So in between then and 2277, Jessica had also passed away. So Arthur was now on his own. So for the background on Arthur, his early life, 2267 to 2277, born in 2267 to Jonathan and Jessica Maxson, Arthur is a descendant of the legendary uh, Roger Maxson. Squire Maxson tends toward, he's soft, there, that's better, (laughs) which is the main reason why his mother sent him to the Citadel. Part of the reason where internal conflicts in the Brotherhood is still out west, which created an unsafe environment for Arthur. Potential for assassination, I'm assuming. His studies, um, when he arrived at the Citadel, he was a very attentive student with a good knowledge of the Brotherhood's triumphs and histories. He has also proven himself kindly, I guess. He, he, he's not quite so uh, bad considered some of the others. Despite being a young boy, Maxon was faced with high expectations as the last of the Maxon line. He was expected to become the Brotherhood's great new leader, and he was told his soul was forged from eternal steel. He never believed this, obviously, you know, as most young people with no confidence would. It says, uh, loneliness also weighed heavily on the young Maxon, as he is the only child at the Citadel, and he grew up surrounded by adults, which no one equal of his age to spend time with. Uh, given that everyone he worked with was a soldier, he didn't receive kindness or warmth, or just merely schooling and training. His closest friend was Liberty Prime, which is an inanimate robot. Scribe Rothschild banned him from the laboratory, emphasizing the futility of trying to make friends with a machine. He snuck in there multiple times, blah, blah, blah. As a result, the 10-year-old Arthur uh, had a very timid and reserved demeanor. It wasn't helpful by the fact that the young boy was barred from patrols due to accidentally shooting a sentinel lion during one of his outings. Arthur's reservations and apprehensions helped him maintain a level of politeness and decency that would later translate into unmatched charisma. Okay, so Arthur is a little long-winded because he's got a lot more backstory than anybody else, so please bear with me. All right, so uh, 2277 to the present day, uh, the key change in Arthur Maxson's life came with adolescence and the death of uh, Elder Lyons and Sarah Lyons. While the crumbling Lions Brotherhood of Steel chaffed under the ineffectual leadership and the uh, one elder after another, Maxon rapidly developed his talents, the potential inside awakening. In 2279, at the age of 12, he managed to kill two raiders on a training patrol, saving the squad that was supposed to escort him. A year later, he managed to single-handedly kill a Deathclaw, taking grave wounds in the process and disfiguring scar that marred his face forever. His key achievement came in 2282 at the age of 15 when he killed a super mutant leader named Shepard, 
who was trying to reorganize the remnants of the Capital Wasteland super mutant infestation, this achievement, he has uh, revealed another secret, that the West Coast elders were still monitoring their errant brethren. With Maxon's achievement came leadership and promotion to provisional elder. Though young, Maxon was ready to lead and reunite the fragmented uh, Brotherhood of Steel forces on the East Coast. He proved his ability in 2283 when he brokered a peace with the Brotherhood outcast, reintegrating them into the Brotherhood of Steel. The 17-year-old Maxon was proving himself as effective a diplomat as a warrior. The full force of the Brotherhood of Steel appointed Arthur Maxon as the Elder the youngest of the Brotherhood Steel in history and supreme commander of the entire Brotherhood of Steel. With the ability to strike anywhere on the East Coast because of the Praed win launched just a year before his rise to power. As of 2287, Elder Maxon's reign in the Capital Wasteland was uncontested and his authority and influence were spreading across the East Coast, the Praedwin was the key element of the Brotherhood's power projection, rallying people to his cause. In addition, Maxon had a full support of the elders in the West Coast who proudly reported that cults existed worshiping Maxon as a god. Although this referred to as a deity, as it goes against his beliefs, Maxon is instead satisfied with being to the Brotherhood the perfect human specimen, an example of everything a human being can achieve, assisted, even enhanced by advanced technology, but still very much human. His authority is reinforced by his accomplishments, growing the brotherhood in the east of the morbid group of complacent stragglers occupying the single citadel into a major military force capable of rejecting power along the eastern seaboard. Thanks to his tenacity and singular vision, the men that serve under his command do so with pride and unmatched loyalty, with one soldier mentioning they were ready to invade hell itself. <laughs> so Maxon's ideals. Arthur Maxon, despite his upbringing, is still a young and idealistic leader. The Brotherhood of the East Coast, he has established amalgam between the ways of his pre uh, predecessor and tutor, Elder Owen Lyons, who was using technology to help others and the traditional Brotherhood approach of coveting and preserving advanced technology to protect people from abusing it. As a result, he is much more lenient about technology being in the hands of outsiders and allocates teams of soldiers to combat dangers that would otherwise harm or kill the people of the wasteland. While he has other teams scoring the ruins for technology that could have could be misused in the wrong hands, Maxon also strongly insists that the Brotherhood has the best interests of the Commonwealth in mind. He deeply cares for everyone under his command, as he is explicitly reluctant to allow Ingram into the field as a field scribe, despite Knight Captain Cade's professional opinion that due to her power armor frame, which replaced her legs and much of her lower torso, she was more suited for combat than scribe work. In fact, probably better suited for than any knight they could muster. Additionally, he explicitly ordered that all technology has to be traded for food or medicine and violent confrontation was to be the last resort, which drastically sets him apart from the West Coast Brotherhood who used violence as a first resort. This shows that not only does he wish to not risk the lives of people under his command, 
but he genuinely seems to care about the people of the Commonwealth. He also approved a request by senior scribe Nira, I can't say it right, to develop a more effective alternative to the pre-war Radaway, showing that he is also carried on with uh, Lyon's efforts of improving technology as opposed to simply hoarding it, which remains the West Coast goal. As can be seen through the conversation between Nolan McNara and Veronica Santiago, it looks like Santiago, but it's Santiago <laughs> in Fallout New Vegas. Okay, so now that you guys got a background, we can go ahead and ask the question, were they good or bad for America? You guys can wake up now. No, <laughs> I've been awake. Um, good or bad. So I had an opinion on this before you talked. And so that is interesting that now I'm starting to kind of rethink things because my impression was always that Arthur was um, more heavy handed with people than like Roger was. Cause I, I knew that Roger was disgusted by what he found out the army was doing. And he said, we're not going to have any part of this. We're going to go do our own thing. And then of course ended up that they were the only thing around after the war for the most part. And so they just continued to do their own thing. But I always thought the brotherhood was all about not, not so much preserving technology for the future so that they could reintroduce it, but kind of keeping it from people because it was that technology that got us into the position that we were in, you know? Oh yeah. I, totally that was always you. my impression. So, that was my impression also until I did my research and I was like, Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So I was very surprised when I heard about Arthur and the things of that nature. And I was like, you know, um, that's where I started going into it. It's like, wow, you know, this Arthur guy sounds like a great leader. And I'm like trying to dig in and find some dirt and I wasn't finding anything. Right. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, you have educated me today. <laughs> Woo, man. Uh, so folks in the audience, I apologize if that was long and contrived, but I wanted to make sure that you guys really understood each of the Maxons, you know, because it seems to me from what I can tell from what I saw is that Roger had a good idea to start off with. Like his ideals were kind of on point and he was a little rougher than it seems that Arthur was. But as mm -hmm. they progressed from like Maxon two to Jeremy and, and to like from Jeremy into John and Jonathan, it really seemed like those are the four that kind of lost their way. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, and I don't, you didn't mention this, but I'm pretty sure that when you're playing fallout three, don't you meet Arthur as a little boy? Yes. The, I do yeah. believe so. You meet him at the Citadel. At, at, at the, the Citadel. Yeah. Because there's that random kid there and you know he's a Maxon. And then I think you can learn about his lineage when you go to the, is it when you go see the, the scribe or something? That part I'm fuzzy on. But you learn the lineage somewhere in there. You learned part of the lineage. There was just like a little excerpt about it, you know, a little bit mm -hmm. of background on Roger and what how Arthur ties in, but like no mention, obviously, of like Jeremy, Max and Two. Yeah, no, yeah. There, there are references in like in some of the other games of the other people are mentioned. Like the only place that I believe Jeremy is actually mentioned is Van Buren. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I, I don't think I've ever heard that name, that particular one. And then from the excerpts in the Van Buren text, it's referring to Jeremy as the apparent leader. The Fallout Bible. Uh, oh, yeah. There is the Fallout Bible as well. Um, but the Van Buren 
was uh, he apparently was running the Brotherhood of Steel during the time of Fallout 2. Well, as far as like whether they're fit to lead the country, I mean, it sounds like they have they have better ideals than say the Enclave did, right? Um, the From Enclave last wasn't. Episode, have we talked about it? Yeah, so like the Enclave didn't really have the people's interest at heart, where it sounds like the Brotherhood is more um, focused on the people and bringing back civilization, not just the government or whoever's going to be in charge. You see the argument here about the the Maxon clan being better suited to lead the new era better than the Enclave, just because we talked about it last week with with the operative Mm -hmm. and uh uh, I could see because they already led the Maxon clan did. Jeremy led it for ages. Uh, Maxon two died in battle, or he became elder and then died. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think the one after me. John John died. He didn't become elder. He was up there. And then uh, Arthur. I believe Arthur went crazy. I also believe Arthur's a simp. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting, considering mm-hmm. his his anti simp uh, feelings? Well, not yes, to mention that, 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 that is just my theory. That is all. It, it's the perfect. But that's another story for another time. That's a fan theory. I'd love to get yeah. into that in another episode, or like a conspiracy theories. I'd love to get into that. But that's not the topic of today's episode. To be honest, it's it's meet the Maxons. Yeah, it's just a matter about- of making sure everybody knew who the Maxons were, has a good idea of what the original concept behind what Roger was trying to do, and then the turbulent elements in the middle of all of these other, the other four Maxons just seem to struggle. I think it started with Roger Maxon's son being such an isolationist. He held that isolation for quite some time until Arthur really and the Lions started reopening that and spreading back out. I think that's where the changes come in. Mm-hmm. I think Roger was dead by the time Arthur was alive. Uh, that's a guarantee. Yeah, the original. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think because the West Coast, they were more isolated than the East Side because uh, the East Side is a, was a lot different than the West. In the West, you could go isolationist and be perfectly fine. In the East... I mean, you could go isolationist in the East, but it wouldn't be as effective or yeah, effective in the East than it was in the West. If you get what I'm saying. I mean, sort of. I think they were just in a better position on the East Coast. I mean, they had the Citadel. Um, you know, eventually they created the Pridwin. And I just, I feel like they were in better standing and better, like they didn't need to be in hiding or isolated or whatever on the East Coast because they had more I don't know, respect or whatever. Um, yeah, they more foothold. Resources. Right, right. And then, you know, whereas the ones yes. in the West Coast were kind of just, I don't know, if they were biding their time or or just kind of waiting. From to the s- NCR. Yeah, and then waiting to see how the landscape was going to change between the NCR and the Legion. Like, you know, who was going to come out top there before they really decide to play their cards. Everyone in the East always kept their cards up tight because they knew a war was coming. No one would go go peacefully, especially the Brotherhood, Caesar's Legion, the NCR. It's like a ticking time bomb on that side, side of the United States. Mm-hmm. That, well, that's what I believe anyway. I believe it was, it was, it was inevitable any way that you put it. Well, it you can definitely say that bomb. the Brotherhood of Steel on the East Coast 
put a lot more time and effort into networking and making themselves stronger by utilizing the people around them as opposed to, you know, one, they didn't, they brought more people into the Brotherhood of Steel, but they actually also utilized the other factions around them a lot better than, say, the previous Brotherhoods of Steel on the West Coast and things like that. They didn't really get into those uh, negotiations as well as they did on the East Coast. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the parade win on the East Coast sort of showed showed dominance with uh, that sort of brought Arthur Maxon more power than he had because he had something big on his side. Sort of like liber- them uh, unburying Liberty Prime. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like the East Coast had more stuff than the West. And that's what made Arthur Maxon more powerful, a better leader because he had more resources on on his side. Resources, men, time. We don't know much about the West during four or three. At least I don't think we know much about the West in three. I know we don't know a lot of the West Coast Brotherhood in four because of Arthur being there and being a high elder. They don't really, they sort of gloss over the, the West because the East had more stuff and the East was there now. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting, you know, to kind of look at it that way. Like, would Arthur Maxon have, like, would the Brotherhood under his leadership be as prominent in the East Coast um, if they didn't have, like, if they had never gotten Liberty Prime to work again, if they had never built the Pridwin? Would he still have that following or presence or whatever that made the Brotherhood is as good as they are on the East Coast? Well, judging from what I had researched and about him specifically and his leadership skills and the things that he had developed, you know, his ability to politic and things of that nature. I think he probably would have done, I don't know if he would have done as well, but I think he would have been able to hold things together pretty good. He seems to me to be a pretty solid leader. Mm-hmm. So let's just say he wouldn't, he wouldn't piss his pants at this first sight of battle. Oh uh, no, that's for sure. I mean, like it said, it said he uh, took out those, uh, the Raiders that were trying to take him out saving the crew that was there to protect him. <laughs> and he was just a kid too. He was Yeah, he was what, 13 or something like that? Yeah, was he that? was young. Yeah, 13 and then 15 he fine killed the death claw. And, wow. and got mortally wounded because of it. Which fighting a death claw by yourself and winning with Did it say what he had? Cuz I, I don't think you brought that. It didn't up. mention what kind of weapon he used or anything. I feel like if he had a scar on his face, he didn't have an effective uh, firearm. Either that or he went with the death clot on a knife. That would make him more badass. <laughs> and slightly True. insane. Yeah, all the above. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, to answer your question, though, uh, I believe uh, the Maxon clan could could rebuild and, and lead. I, I really think under Arthur's leadership that they actually would have been good for America uh, if the rest of the grouping, you know, held with his idealism and they were able to establish now mind you with the brotherhood of steel's you know format of just paladins and uh scribes they're going to have to create some sort of other element that is a more structured government for the people to utilize and separate it from their military elements if they can pull that off and you know have arthur maintain his control over both elements as far as leadership wise i think that they could do really well or even if he was to elect somebody to run the civilian populace while he maintains the control of the military populace 
then you could see a really strong potential American government coming out of it that mm, could stand the test of time. Yep, I agree. Basically, people need to get out of Arthur Maxon's way or, or they're going to get run over. <laughs> That's what I believe. Folks, um, real quick, I just want to put this out there. What is your opinions? If you have an opinion, we would like to hear from you guys. And uh, I, w- I mean, I would love your opinions because I'd also like some, uh, maybe some other questions that you might have that you could pose that we can actually work on. That would be really awesome. Uh, thank you, Jaxus. Uh, I think it'd be a perfect time as we're winding down discussions about the missing clan for a commercial break. So enjoy. And we're back to the show. Sassy lady, why don't you take us into the middle of the show? Okay, well, uh, we want to reach out to everybody and let you know how much we appreciate your follows, your likes, your subscribing, and uh, leave us some reviews. We would love to be able to uh, shout you out on the show, talk about you know any questions that you have, but leave us some reviews so we can uh, bump up our presence on different platforms so that we can reach more listeners. Tell us about, tell your friends about us, share the show, leave us you know five stars that you love us, and give us some good reviews. Send an email at balloutrtb at gmail.com. And we do have an email that a listener has sent in. He had listened to uh, an earlier episode and wanted to let us know that we were doing a great job, that we are very entertaining, and that he's confident that we'll grow and he wishes us the best of luck. He even offered to be a guest. So that came from Credify. Credify? Credify. Sorry if I'm butchering your name. That is a, a different one for me, and I'm not great at names. <laughs> I'm Irish, you know. Credify. Credify. Or Sash Shinobi. Sash Shinobi, yeah. Um, we get, we're starting to get some traction on our Twitter, which you can find at Fallout RTB. And we've had, you know, some engagement there, which is great. So if you haven't found us on Twitter yet, please make sure to do that. Again, that's at Fallout RTB for Roundtable. We would love to see some comments or DMs from you guys. And just, you know, we like chatting with people. So hit us up. Also, um, just to jump in real quick, if you folks would do us a big, huge favor, we love all of the reviews. We'd love it if you guys would go to iTunes and leave us a, write us a review there and set us some five stars from there. That will help the algorithm and help the show to grow. And we would much appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so we're, we're going to go on with the second part of our show. We're going to we're actually going to try something new here. It's a new segment. It's what what we like to call a mod showcase because I guess you guys like Fallout mods. So we're going to give you more tonight. I'm not the one presenting. Neither is Jaxus. Sassy Lee is going to be presenting our first mod showcase. Take it away. Woohoo! So. Uh... I ended up picking a completely different mod. To be honest, I don't play with a lot of mods, but I was really looking forward to uh, mods that provided new content, like a lot of the mods that we talked about before, the Fallout London and Fallout Miami. And I thought I would talk about one of those, but as I was doing some research, I ran across this really fun mod that is actually available now. And I'm waking up my iPad, so it'll tell me. Make sure I have it right. It's called 20 Leagues Under the Sea, Vault 120 by Mimit El Rouge. And I hope I got that name right. 
Um, there are some videos on YouTube that show people looking for, you know, looking through the mod and everything, but it's basically two workshops. You get there from a little, like a little concrete building that's off of Norhagen Beach. You go to this like elevator, I guess, and it takes you down. And these are under this, it's an under the sea vault and it's massive. It's, there's a lot of space for building but the cool thing is that it is very Bioshock-esque. And I love it because it's like a, a smash up of two of my favorite game series. So you're in this underwater vault, but you can see, like you look out the windows and you see the buildings. It looks like the buildings with all the billboards and things like that. Like there's Nuka-Cola Atlantic offices. You can see through the water. And... There's, I can just like see in my mind like where I'm going to build stuff. I did download this and I've got it all set to play, but I didn't have time to actually jump in and play it today, and that made me sad. But looking at the videos, I could tell like I already know like oh, you know, you first get in and there's like this reception area. It looks like with like a security area. There's one part of the vault where you go down this massive staircase and you've got these big windows in the back, and I'm thinking that's going to be a bar. You know, it's just. There's all kinds of really, really cool places and, and nooks and crannies where you can stick stuff. There's like an area where you could put in, you know, your shops for your vendors and things like that and, and just set up your own little thing there. There's a second workshop connected to it that is like a TV or radio studio, which is really cool, too. It's really laid out really nicely. I had a question. Yes. What's your question? Uh, so my question was, uh, so is there a story arc behind it at all? Is there any kind of storyline or is it just like building and there's things to do there? No, it's not. It didn't look like, like some mods you have to like do a quest to find whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and that's usually for like finding companions or finding a new player home or even the dogs or whatever. But this one didn't really have a, a quest per se. And it's just, you know, you show up at Nordhagen Beach, you see this bunker type building there, and you take that and you just find this abandoned underwater vault. What I found interesting about it when I did poke around on the wiki was that I don't know if the guy got his idea from this or what, but it was actually a lot of it was conceptualized but abandoned when they were making the game. So apparently we were supposed to have an underwater bunker or, or vault of some sort, and it never... It's probably why we got, a, we got a Chinese sub in the Boston Harbor instead of a vault. I don't know. I mean, Less I was under time. the impression we should get more, but um, but yeah, it was, it was cut content. So I think someone just made it happen, and it's just an area where you can build out a settlement you know, have some people there and stuff. And it looks, it looks pretty cool for that. And it's about as big or maybe bigger than the vault 88 area. If you remember that, that area is just massive too. Wow. That's so pretty you, decent would you size. Like to tell us the mod again to repeat it to us. Sure. It is 20,000 leagues under the sea vault 120, And the creator on that is, Mimit El Rouge. And uh, can can is it just a PC thing or can you get it on Xbox and PlayStation? Probably, probably not PlayStation because Sony. 
Sony has tons of rules with, with mods. Yeah, so I mean, I I think it's, I'm not going to say 100% that it's on Xbox, but it's definitely on PC. Because I've already downloaded it on Nexus mods, so. If it's on Nexus mods, you might be able to get it through the uh, Xbox, you know what I'm talking about, Matt. Right. Thing yeah, yeah I, I know what you're talking about. It's what I use all the time. Yeah, and that's why I'm thinking it's probably also available um, for Xbox players. For those that are playing on Xbox that have never used mods before, Mavazer, can you explain a little bit on how they can do that? I know you know how it works. I know how it works because my I use mods constantly on my Xbox because I can't play vanilla mode anymore. <laughs> uh, so so it's it's an option on the main title screen after you pressed your button after it says oh press any button to can to start. It's uh it says. If I remember correctly, it's down on in the main. It goes after. I think it says mods. You click on it, like you uh, hit it, and then it goes into the screen that says uh, "Try mods at your own risk." Pretty much that Bethesda doesn't take any responsibility of what happens a- after you download the mod. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go into the mod loadout screen, where it basically shows. What mods you have, what mods, uh, the hottest mods, the, the more recent mod. Then it has your library, which has all the mods that you either have downloaded on your game at that moment or or like ha- that you've downloaded in the past, but uh, you've un- uninstalled because of reasons. <laughs> yes, I have a couple of those. Uh, and then, and then, if you want to search up a specific mod, like the mod that Sassy Lady said, uh, then you would press the Y button. It would show a search, uh, like a search bar, whatever. You'd probably have to wait for the the actual keyboard for the Xbox to show up, and you type it in and go from there. If it's there, it's there. So yeah, that's it's pretty easy. You probably want to follow what the creator says because certain mods have to go certain places on your loadout. Like at the bottom or at the top or somewhere in the middle for them to work. Yeah, or, I saw or, on the wiki they recommended putting this last in your order. Yeah, at the bottom. Yeah, mo- a lot of these mods they like to go last. Which well, so they nice. do that so that they it's almost like a layer when you're doing like yeah and stuff. So if you have one mod that does one thing and you want that one thing to stay, but you have another mod that's got a multitude of other things, you want to put the mod that you have that. More, more interesting things you want at the top, so it takes priority over the ones below it. You're not wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> I, I hope I, I, I don't I know enough about all that stuff to say. <laughs> it sounded good. So I guess yeah, yeah. We're coming to the end of our show here. It's a little, it's a little bit shorter, a lot more talky talk, and not as much of of a discussion because there's just three of us tonight. It's this has been Maverick Stone. This has been the Fallout Roundtable. My compadres on my proverbial left and right, Jaxus and Sassy Lady, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Yay. Thank you for, and please remember again to rate, review, subscribe. And this is good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us here at the Fallout Roundtable. For show times, please check the details below. And if you would, please help us by writing a review, and leaving us five stars. Thank you, and good night. 
This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, Vault Dwellers. Join me, Jax's sassy lady roamer, Eric, and the creator, Maverick, as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it, using at FalloutRTD. You can send us an email using FalloutRTD at gmail.com. Join us. The conversation has already started. 